If you stand fast in the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 3rd chapter, for what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that, you might, that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end he may establish your heart, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Father, as we again one more time stand behind your sacred desk, certainly we are thankful for the privilege and yet fearful as we stand, for we realize also the responsibilities laid upon our shoulders that we proclaim your word with fervency and with power, and yet careful, Father, that we get across the message that your intent. So we pray, Father, for your blessings. We pray for your anointing. And, Father, we also pray that you would anoint the ears, for it's of no value to anoint us to speak if the ears of those who listen are not anointed, that they might increase in the value of your divine word. So increase us in our wisdom, Father. Let your words be spoken that you desire, and we'll be thankful to you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For our Bible study tonight, it's strange some of the things that you can pick up. We're living in, well, is it they say, tedious times. I mean, times get tedious, don't it? I mean, there's so many different things going on. I understand the lake's going down. You hit sandbars every once in a while. And so many things in life that's just simply tedious in our life. And the Apostle Paul was noticing this. And something gripped a hold of my spirit that had not gripped it before, and it sent me on a chase to find out what the Apostle Paul was trying to say. And in these short scriptures that I read, and especially the 12th verse, where it says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, it brought out some very pertinent questions that need to be asked of ourselves today and the things that God is demanding of us. And actually it would simply be the hows and the whats and the wherefores of love. And it's surprising the importance that the Apostle Paul places on that. Now, this letter was written, a little background before we get into it, somewhere around A.D. 50 to 54. They disagree a little bit on that. That was approximately 20 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus and 15 years after Paul's conversion. With the exception of Galatians, it's the earliest letter that Paul had written. Now, if you notice, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. He covers several areas, such as the resurrection and these things. Paul's primary purpose for writing this letter is because his love of his love and concern for his people. The Apostle Paul had a father image, and he also had a mother image. If you kind of zip over there to the second chapter and the seventh verse, 
He writes before that, says, We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherith her children. And this, of course, is a mother image that desires to nurse and is very gentle as a nurse would do it or as a mother would do it. Then you skip on down to the 11th verse and says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And so he was had a mother image and he had a father image and he was concerned. Now what brought him to this town of Thessalonica was the fact that he had answered the Macedonian call and he had established a church in the seaport town of 200,000 population, 300 years old even at the time, and it tied Greece together. And if you'll notice, the Macedonian call that Paul answered was immediately after the Spirit had denied him entrance into Asia. The Apostle Paul desired to go to Asia. He wanted to do that, and the Holy Spirit forbade him, and right after that, he saw a vision of a man. And that man was standing and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so the Apostle Paul, in accepting God's will, and I like that when I study his life, never seemed to be too many questions when God stopped him in one area. He just simply waited until God moved again. He thought this was the right direction for him to go, and the Holy Spirit forbade him to do it. Then he knew that something better was on its way, and so he was perfectly content to wait for the move of God. I think probably that's the greatest challenge in all of our lives, is to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned. <laughs> I have learned that whatever state I'm in, where God places me, how he places me where therewith to be content. The Apostle Paul had learned that, of course, through suffering and through trials, and through tribulations and through trial and error. How many of you believe he learned it that way? Just through trial and error. He's trying this way and it didn't work and God stopped him and then momentarily and then God would open up a brand new avenue for the Apostle Paul to walk in and so he walked in there. So he answered according to Acts 16 and 9, a Macedonian call. The thing that gripped me is this. Paul spent only three short weeks building this congregation when the opposition of the Jews forced him to be smuggled out of town at night. Now a lot of people stipulate, and I've read commentary after commentary, that God had through the Apostle Paul in three short weeks preached the whole counsel of God into these individuals, which I find mind-boggling. I don't believe even according to Paul's writings, I don't think he felt like that he had been able to establish them in all the truth and all the righteousness and so on. So his concern for them was so great. If you'll notice, he sent Timothy from Athens to find out uh, their spiritual welfare and their spiritual well-being. And in writing here, his main concern for them was had they grasped the message that he had tried to minister unto them concerning love. I think the Apostle Paul was fully aware that his time would be short. Time that he'd have to spend with these individuals because of the opposition, and he knew this, the time would be short in establishing this church. And when you read concerning that, first and second Thessalonians, you'd find that he zeroed in on the only message that he knew that would not only establish them but to keep them 
And that message was a message of love. And he was concerned as to whether they had grasped the message of love or not and able to sustain them in the perplexing, growing, tedious times that was coming upon them. Now he points us out a lesson here and lets us know as we grow, as we mature, God requires more from us than ever before. And if we don't respond to God positively, then we'll start to regress. How many have ever noticed your life sometimes when you respond negatively to God and refuse to take a step up the ladder, you catch your spiritual experience beginning to regress? Now, that is known, and you look at it in strength, if your muscles are not used, they become weak muscles, and sometimes they become atrophied, which is useless and weak. And then if your mind, if you don't use what God reveals to us, or put it into practice, our mind starts regressing. We stop maturing as far as the thinking of the Holy Spirit is concerned. And then love, if love given us, by the Holy Spirit of God is not used and it's not enlarged upon instead of growing we start to regress in the love given us by the Holy Spirit and we become incapable of loving even as we were able to love when we first came to Christ and this was the thing that the Apostle Paul feared this was the thing that he was concerned about did they grasp hold of the message that told them they needed to enlarge upon the love introduced to them. And this was a soul-moving prayer by Paul. You see, in order to understand, you have to get in there and see what he's doing. You can just read it and it becomes words. But when you get involved and get the feeling of the Apostle Paul and realize that he had came and introduced these individuals, got them off the streets, got them out of their... Uh, houses of ill fame and they had got them out of their temples where they'd worshipped other gods and he'd put together a church from all walks of life from all people and introduced them and God had gloriously gloriously marvelously filled them with the Holy Ghost of God Paul realizing he didn't have much time began to establish them upon the practice of the love of God and the necessity of growing in that love and you see the soul-moving prayer of Paul for the Thessalonians invites us to explore some three questions tonight. If I could have your attention and your prayer, where does love come from? I think we need to know that. Also, does love grow? Do we get it all at once when we receive the Holy Ghost or does love grow? And if it does, how does it grow? And after we experience the love of God, what does love do? What is the love of God supposed to do in their heart? Now, Paul was one that never at any time took love lightly. He was committed to a life that was radically Christian. Anybody ever calls you radical, just tell them you're acquainted with the Apostle Paul. Because there was no one any more radical in what he believed than the Apostle Paul was. He was radical when he was a Pharisee, and he was just as radical when he became a Christian. He believed that God's Word meant what it said and said what it meant, and he's lived his life as if he was going to die tomorrow, and he wanted to be ready to meet his Maker. 
So he was a radical Christian and he knew what a drastic change had to be wrought in the lives of these in Thessalonia if love was to be their law then there had to be something done in their life, so he prayed. I want you to notice his prayer. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Simple, everyday English language, may the Lord make you grow and make you rich in love. I thought as I looked at that, what greater prayer could any man ever pray and what greater prayer has ever been prayed for us and how much greater can we do if we pray the, pray the same prayer? God, make me to grow in love and make me rich in the love of Almighty God. Move out this thing called lust that's replaced the word love in my life and let me know actually what love really means. Of course, all of us are acquainted with the love of innocence. That's an infantile love, and that's kind of a selfish love, but that's the type of love we receive when we first come to Jesus. As a child, a child is concerned only with himself, only with the objects that he plays with. He wants everything given to him, and, and that's the way a love of innocence is. And then you begin to grow. And as you grow, your love should be able to encompass more than you it then begins to encompass mom and dad. And then it begins to encompass, encompass siblings. And then it begins to encompass friends. Until the first thing you know, it's encompassed something great because love has grown. You have grown in the ability to love as you've never loved before. So where does love come from? And when you look at that, there's all types of psychological answers for that. And I'm sure we're not interested in psychology, but if we look, as far as the Lord is concerned, love comes exclusively from God. That's the reason I say that mankind, even when they are married and don't know God, they don't know the fullness of what love really is. That's why there's a lot of marriage and a lot of divorce. That's why there's a lot of problems and a lot of trouble. It's because they have never really knowing the true love of God. So love comes exclusively from God simply because God is love. And if you try to love outside of God, then it's literally impossible. And in the hour of persecution of these individuals, in the hour of the trial of their faith, their need for love was critical. You see, they faced something kind of like the church world today faces. They'd come in with a great move of God. Greatness in the power of God. How the Holy Ghost exploded in their lives. And then the first thing you know, persecution came. Individuals began to see their fellow man. They probably heard speaking tongues. Probably watched them go down in the water in baptism in Jesus' name. Probably watched as they felt the great uh, load of sin lifted from their shoulders. They began to see their loved ones. They begin to see their love fail. They begin to see them leaving and going back into where they came from. And it was something that was hard for them to rationalize. And the need to know what love was become critical. Love for one another, which is love for God. How many of you are aware that you cannot love God? 
I've heard people get up and say, I love the Lord, all my heart, mind, soul, and body, and still have a hatred toward their fellow man, and still have a rebellion in their heart toward their fellow man. I think the Bible tells us in 1 John 4.20 that he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Now those are scriptures that ought to challenge the very core of our existence. Those are scriptures that ought to challenge our life. And the Apostle Paul, in looking at them, realizing he had no time to work with them, did not dare point them to any other source. No simple pep talk would do. You see, the Apostle Paul was a warrior. He wasn't a cheerleader. He didn't stand on the sidelines and say, go, go, and cheer, cheer, cheer. The Apostle Paul was a warrior, and he put on the whole armor of God, and he let them know that this was necessary, and the greatest part they needed was the love of God in their life. And he wanted to turn their hearts to Jesus, from whom all blessings flow. You see, Paul was trying to teach them a lesson that probably would be a good lesson to be learned today. Love in spite of pain. Let that soak in a little bit. Love in spite of pain was what these people and what we need to learn now. Mature love, not infantile love. If you'll notice... In infantile love, if we want to call it love, we can love as long as somebody doesn't hurt us. As long as it's not hard for us to do it. As long as there's no pain involved. As long as everybody thinks as we think and do as we do and stand up right on the calendar of success that we have marked, then it's love and we say we love them. But what Paul wanted them to see that they needed to be love, have love in spite of pain. When pain comes in their life, when crosses come in their life, when abuses come in their life, when difficulties arise with, from without and chafe from within, they still should re maintain the integrity to be able to love the same as they did before, which is not an impossibility if we love with God's love. But it's impossible for us to love that way in our human environment the way we do. So no one is more of authority on love in spite of pain than Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul turns their thoughts to Jesus. And he says, I want to show you an example. And Jesus brought the love of God into human life at our most painful point. He touched our history. That's Jesus, where we bleed the most. In other words, he came at a time of distress unequaled as far as Israel, his chosen, was concerned. He came at a time when their kingdom was destroyed. He came at a time when their synagogue was ruled by evildoers. He came at a time when man had even given up hope of ever finding the Messiah. He came at a time when his chosen people was bleeding the most and was paining the most. And he touched our lives, all of our lives at the most painful points. He shared our poverty. He that was rich took on the nature of poverty of humanity. He experienced our loneliness. If you ever have no an idea that Jesus don't know how you feel 
when you're snuggled down in the loneliness and don't know which way to turn, realize in that painful moment Jesus touched your life. He knows what it's like to be deserted. He knows what it's like to be left by those He puts and entrusts in. And He loved in spite of the pain that was inflicted on Him. In spite of the failures. And He encountered our hostility. Hostility of man. They, they beat on Him and they hit Him and they gnashed on Him with their teeth and, and they mutilated Him and all of that. And this was a hostility of humanity against the Savior of the world. And He endured our rejections. And all at the same time he was doing this, he shouldered our sins. Every day for three years and a half after his calling, he placed upon those shoulders the sins of all humanity. He walked in front of humanity. He watched them follow him. He watched them uh, leave him. He watched his friends not be able to go the last mile of the way with him. And friend, he loved in spite of the pain inflicted on him. He loved in spite of the physical pain when they nailed the spikes in his hands and all of those things. He looked down on them and asked God to forgive them because he said they don't know what they do. He was loving in spite of the pain that was inflicted on him. And he loved in spite of the mental torment that was upon his life and on his mind. Touched where we believe the most. Christ Jesus come into this world and showed us how to love and showed us the necessity of loving one for another. And loving in spite of the pain. I had to stop and look at that a while. I don't know about you, but I had to ask myself the truthful question and wait for a truthful answer. Have I, in my years of sharing Christ, and in my years of Christianity, and even in my years as a minister, have I been able to love in spite of pain? Have I been able to love in spite of abuses? Have I been able to love in spite of rejections? Have I been able to love in spite of pain? And I had to look at myself square in the face, and you have to do the same thing too. I think I come up with a resounding uh, no. I have not been able to be uh, to love in spite of pain. And then just to say that is of no value in my life whatsoever. I must say it, I must face it, I must realize it, and then I must ask God. Uh, let me have that because if the Apostle Paul thought that was of a necessity for the Thessalonians to endure unto the end, he thinks the same thing concerning me and concerning you. He wants the same thing out of the little church at Birdseye, Indiana that he wanted out of the church at that town of Thessalonica. He wanted us to be able to love one another in spite of pain inflicted on us from the outside as well as the inside. And he wanted us to love so much that we'd be able to embrace, that we'd be able to carry these things to the altar, that we'd be able to lay them down there and pray. I think the Bible tells us to pray for those that despitefully use us. This is love. That's the only way we can do that. And that love has to come descending from God out of heaven and dwell within us at all times. It's simply impossible our human love to absorb such punishment. It will not. It takes the love of God. And the Apostle Paul was looking at all of this and he pointed them to Christ. Christ knew how to love. 
He knew how to love where and when it was the hardest. His friends failed him, and he still loved, and he still prayed. His enemies conspired against him, and yet he loved. And the Bible tells us that he is our example. The Bible tells us he lived in the manner that he left for us to live. I thought as I looked at that, God, it seems like that you are asking from your people and from this Thessalonican church an impossibility. An improbability, maybe, but not an impossibility. Uh, his desire was this, that they would continually turn to the one that reached out into that wicked town and drew them out from the streets and alleys of that town and got them out of their shrines of, uh, of, their, of their idols and all of that and brought them in and formulated and made the church of the living God and set them on a hill where individuals could see them and live their life that way and love in spite of the pain inflicted from without and love in spite of the abuses heaped upon from within still have the capacity to love. And he says you can't do it unless you consider Christ, the very one that brought you there, the very one that established you there, the very one that took you out of all of this and put you there. So love, enduring love, abiding love, comes from God. We cannot seek it from ministers. We cannot seek it from lay members. We cannot seek it from the house of God. We have to find it from God Himself. And God asked us to find it in Him and bring it into His house and love in spite of pain. I want to say that again. I'd like for it to sink into you as it did me. Love in spite of abuses. Love in spite of pain. Love in spite of how mankind thinks or how he walked. To be able to love in spite of all of this. And be able to walk in the presence of God. Now, the Apostle Paul knew that persecution was jabbing at this band of people from the outside. But he knew they could endure that. He was aware of that. He knew that they could endure whatever come against them from the outside. But they had another problem. They was chafed from within. Nerves was raw. Patience was rubbed thin. They was getting short with one another. Individuals at one time could do no wrong was almost now always doing something wrong. You see, eyes that was one time blinded by love was open now. And they begin to see and begin to point out faults and begin to become a hindrance inside. And the Apostle Paul knew this would not work. You see, you can never be destroyed from outside. The devil knows that. You're banded together, and as long as there's a band and a bond that welds God's people together, no outside force can shake it or destroy it. But let the devil get inside. Let him begin to work upon the love that we had one for another inside. And let him begin to tear pipe. And let him begin to cause us to see things instead of looking at the good things that come from God. And the Apostle Paul saw that. He knew persecution outside, but he knew that no quack remedies was going to handle this situation. I mean, he knew that you couldn't just call a revival and it was going to solve things. He knew that you could not call in some great quartet and it was going to solve things. 
He knew that you wasn't going to be able to call in some great big thing and solve things. The Apostle Paul knew that the only hope of survival for this church was to return to the love of God. Now let the love heal the wounds that had come from Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, there's no other source. There's no other way you can exist in a world filled with turmoil and a world filled with evil. And friend, I some way or somehow surmise tonight that he was looking 2,000 years in the future and perhaps looking down and seeing us in this little town of Birdseye and other places where the whole world seems to be against the truth and the whole, whole world seems to have something evil and bad to say, and all of this, and friend, this is of no value. I mean, the world can say what it wants to, and the world can cover us, and we can still go on. And when we allow that devil to come inside and start destroying love for one another, then the devil can destroy us. And the Apostle Paul knew that, and he loved him too much. And they needed something to heal the wounds that had come inside. And there wasn't any other source, only the love of God. And so the Apostle Paul said, I want you to grow in love. I want you to start growing in this thing. I, don't, I want you to look at your life, see if you have regressed. And if you have, I want you to realize there is a growth in love. You see, they were then like a lot of people are today. They felt like when they received the Holy Ghost, they got everything we was to get. That was just the initial form of love. God placed the ability to love inside of us through the power of the Holy Ghost. And these individuals had the Holy Ghost. And if that was going to give them all the growth they needed, the Apostle Paul wasted his time, his letter, in writing the 12th verse, said, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do towards you. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, If I could relate, to you how I feel about you, how I agonize in prayer over you, how I'm concerned about you, if I could relay that to you, how I've learned to grow in my love for you, that you would grow in your love one for another. And so there he was introducing them to the only place love comes from. It comes from God. The question there again is, does love grow? Does it grow, and if it grows, how? Now, what a lot of people don't realize is love is a process. Love is a relationship capable of large and steady growth. There should never be a time when we who know God would ever be limited in our outreach to love and our steadiness to climb toward that which God wants us to climb toward. And a lot of people think love is just a feeling. But friend, feelings are like tides. They just ebb and flow. And they're fickle to the core. Dependent on health. And dependent on morale. And dependent on circumstances. And that's why a lot of people that never get past feeling in love. Because one minute you feel good so you feel like you love somebody. And then all at once your health fails and you don't feel like you love them so much. Tempers are a little bit short and you don't feel good anyway. And so you have loved on feeling and you don't feel so good. So you don't love them so good. Same way with morale and circumstances and all of this. That friend, love is a commitment. I'll say it again. Love is a commitment. That's a commitment that I made. When I married my wife, I made a commitment to her. A commitment to, to her that I would love and honor and cherish her. 
that I would be concerned about her, that I would love her even more than I love else's welfare. That is love. Not an attraction to the other person's charms. Did you know you'd be surprised how many Christians are swayed by the charms of other individuals? Amen? You'd be surprised how somebody could come in with charisma and all he knows the right things to say or she does. And he knows just how to get in and among people and individual Christians, a lot of them think that's love. And they've been deluded. But that's just a feeling. And love is a commitment that's made to you. Love is a commitment that's made to one another. And love at its best stays steady. Now our morale may go up and down. Our health may go up and down. Our circumstances may go up and down. But if we have the love of God inside, that love stays steady. We love in spite of pain. We love in spite of sickness. We love in spite of commitments. Because it's God's love. And even under the most adverse circumstances, love catches. We're way up here sometimes with our emotional feelings. Oh, we just feel so good. Then the bottom drops out of it. And if we don't have God's love, we are plunged plumb to the bottom. And that which looked cheery and good is of no value whatsoever. But with God's love, when feelings are gone, we come down here and God's love and faith catch us. And it holds us there. And we're steady in the love department. Love is a process. Love is a relationship. Love is a commitment. And I wonder sometimes that when you came to Christ and you made a commitment to Him, you had a relationship with Him. That relationship you had with Him and shared with Him was this very idea that you were concerned about Him. He's concerned about you. Reciprocate and be concerned about God, and love Him in spite of the pain that's inflicted sometimes, in spite of the misunderstandings about Him and where He's coming from. Love Him just the same. And love Him on the mountaintop. And love Him in the valley. And love Him when things are going good and things go bad. And if you're loving God that way, you're loving God's people that way. Because you simply cannot separate God's people from God as much as we try. So love is a process. Love is a commitment. And love can increase and abound when we see people as God sees them. Have you ever really looked at somebody that you really didn't care much for and wondered how does God see that individual? Does God see them like I do? Have you ever tried that? It might be good sometime. Pick out the ugliest person in the house and look at them. I wonder if God thinks they're ugly. All right? Pick out the loudest mouth individual you can. I wonder what God thinks about him. Look up here at your preacher and wonder what God thinks about him. Does God think the same thing about him as you think about him? God, I hope not. 
I hope he thinks different. And then I've looked at some of you. I know my opinions. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I draw them good. And I wonder, and I've sat since I've God has dealt with me on this, and I've sat and I've wondered, God, do you see them like I do? And I come to the conclusion that God just don't look like we look. Because He's got different eyes than we have. And the only possible way we can see like God sees is through the Holy Spirit that He's giving us the spiritual eyes that He said was ours. And in some way we need to close these fleshly eyes and drown this fleshly mind and look at God's people the way God sees them. Imperfect. Hard to get along with. Rebellious in all areas, yes. Sin in our life that God still loves us because He's not through with us yet. Yes, love grows. It has to grow. Because if it didn't grow, we couldn't stand one another. We just wouldn't be able to do it. It has to grow. Turn over and look at your wife. When you married her, she's young, sweet, and innocent, slim and trim, and all of this. <laughs> look at your husbands. He was the same way. And look at him now. If love hadn't grown, you wouldn't be able to handle it. There's no way you could handle it if love hadn't grown. And love grows. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sister Mary, look, look at Brother Dale and think that's the handsomest man I ever saw in my life. I don't think that, but she does. <laughs> yeah, I believe she does. <laughs> All right. But love love grows. And love's not something that leaks out and evaporates. I don't think in these distressing times anything distresses me anymore. And when I'm trying to talk to people and counsel individuals, to hear them say, my love is gone. He destroyed my love, she destroyed my love. Friend, real love doesn't disappear. Real love is there. It may take it may stand it may have some test. It may have some problems. But friend, it still remains. And you'll find the individuals that have loved. I mean loved. And have went through the painful process of divorce. And there's still something way down in that heart and soul that they still love that individual. They realize it's impossible that the goal can't be reached, that they reach far, but still love was inside there and love still remains. The love of God. Real love don't disappear. It's not easily destroyed, as somebody would have us to believe. It has no substance that can drain away or be lost. It involves commitment. A commitment to treat the other person fully as a person. To look at them and realize they are not a whit behind you. Regardless, you're tall, straight, and good-looking, and they're short, fat, and ugly. They hold nothing whatsoever. You're no better than they are. What's needed for love to grow? 
not just romance and affection, although that is a necessity, but the main ingredient for love to grow is God's grace. All but for the grace of God. I'll say it again, all but for the grace of God. I look at Major Saturn, I look at all of these things, and I thank God, but for your grace, there we all are. There we all are. But love grows as love is enjoyed and shared. It simply has to be enjoyed. And for love to last, it has to be shared. And I'm talking about God's love now. Not just the love of man toward woman or the woman toward man, but I'm talking about God's love. I'm talking about not only sharing love with one another and enjoying the love of God with one another, but I'm talking about sharing His love with Him. Not just letting His arms go around us and not just feeling His mercy and His compassion and hear that small voice saying, Child, I love you. That's a one-way street. We need to some way get close to God and look up in those eyes of His and love and say, God, I love you. I love you with all of my heart and mind. I love you as best I know how. And you're sharing this love God gave us with Him, the one that gave it to us. Sometimes God sets and yearns for that. God has feelings. I said God has feelings. He sometimes said, sometimes if he could have a tear run down his cheek, he would, because he's waiting for somebody to come and reciprocate his love. Or he has given all, withheld nothing, but gave it all. And he's just waiting for us. What more can we do? I mean, if he gave everything, how can we do any less than to give everything we have to him? And once we find ourselves doing that, we'll find that love grows. If we can share God's love with Him and with one another, and if we can enjoy God's love, then love will grow. And Paul hints at this when he prays that the new believer will increase or grow and abound or be rich in love one toward another and to all men. You have a family life example. Love grows intensively and very extensively year after year. We desire the best for our loved ones until we find the very capacity of our love begins to expand. Paul notes this when he says it begins with loving one another. I want you to notice that. That's crucial. When it says in here that God make you increase and abound in love one toward another, and then he says eventually that capacity will come until you can include all men. Until the power of God is enough for you to love everybody. It starts out with each other, and then it reaches out to all men. So how does love grow? It's fed by the love of Christ until it grows large enough to include even our enemies. Paul listed no exceptions to all men he prayed, including his enemies. And it's surprising when you find that apostle in prayer, as he includes his enemies, those that laid stripes on his back, those that was responsible for him being thrown in a dungeon, those that was responsible for him having to leave a town at midnight in a church he loved. And still you'll find him praying for those individuals and loving those individuals and reaching the heart of God for those individuals. Love grew in this man's life. It was a pharisaical love 
that could embrace no one other than the ones that believed as he did. But it came to be a Christ-like love that can embrace all humanity, regardless of all any religion or any sect or any denomination. It included all men. Last but not least, what does, what does love do? Closing words of Paul's prayer answers this question. This is why he prayed, so that he may establish your heart, unblameable in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Love will cause us to live God's way. Love will cause us to do things God's way, different from the ways of the world, regardless of how flesh cries, remember to love Jesus. It's to love that for which he died, humanity. I want to say again, it's impossible to love him without loving those for which he died. Love will bring a quality into our lives that will last. Something that's not fecal and go because love lasts. Love by persons will last with a person. Most of what we do in closing is destined to become dust. But the one thing we can do that will survive is to love. David Hubbard, author, minister, and builder, wrote these words. The books I write are not what really counts. He wrote some good books. They could end up dusty and unused on a forgotten shelf somewhere. My sermons dressed in all their finery, powdered and sprinkled with all the wit and intellect that is in me, were lasted the most only a, sh only a short span of the time. The buildings I build will look good for a while and then fade and tumble. But the love that I give and share, I will see again in eternity because he had invested it in God's humanity. And it's God's full intention that his humanity live eternally. So if you're investing love in somebody, you're investing an eternity in somebody, and you'll see that love again when you stand in those last days. Along with faith, along with hope, love counts. Paul called it, called, Paul called it love, the greatest of all three. Love, hope, and faith. And after I got through with this, after Paul's sermon to them, I kind of took it that he meant that I should give more attention to love than I do. Much more. And I kind of think that's what he would like out of all of us, is to pay more attention to the love that excels. And nothing else, let me say it again, nothing else is going to see us through these rigorous times. Nothing else is going to see us through the perilous times that Paul said would come and are upon us. 
Nothing else is going to see us through the problems and the turmoil and the bad names and connotations we get from scandals of PTL and all of this other stuff. Nothing else is going to be able to help us exist in a world filled with turmoil but love. And if we can't learn how to love one for another in spite of pain, in spite of faults, and we can never please Jesus. The questions Paul answered, where does love come from? Does love grow? If so, how does it grow? What does love do? Love establishes us unblameable and holy at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the other mysteries can float by you, friend. You may not be able to understand Revelation. You may get lost in Daniel. You may not understand the symbols of Ezekiel, the wheels in the middle of the wheel. But as long as you understand what love and the commitment it makes, you'll be able to stand in those days and look in the face of Jesus and hear him say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let's stand.